Let's pray. Thank you, King Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. So it was the pastor's conference, and um, the sermon was finished. The creed was spoken. The offering had been collected. We stood to bring our hearts and minds before God in prayer. 200 pastors, a few wives, a few congregation members filled almost every single seat in this stained glass sanctuary. The pastor looked so holy. They had a special spotlight that just came right down, gave it a nice soft touch. We bowed our heads. He spoke the prayers as reverently as any pastor I'd ever heard. We came to the end, and he said, and now we bring you the silent prayers of our heart. And everything really was silent. You could almost, you could almost hear absolutely nothing except maybe the hum of the air conditioner. We all knew with the next amen we would begin the service of the sacrament. That holy moment when Jesus comes to us in his body and blood, in, with, and under the bread and the wine, and we were waiting with great expectation. The silence was broken by a very irreverent ringtone from a cell phone. Everyone turned toward the offender. He fumbled trying to get the phone out of his pocket. In his haste, it flew out of his hand and went skittering across the floor, still wailing away. And that's when we heard a word in church that you normally don't hear in church. It even gets better. He finally had his phone, but instead of silencing it, he said, I have to take this. And then we all listened to the conversation as he walked out. And it was a long way out. And he said, Rhonda did what? She knows better than that. The pastor didn't miss a beat. He said, let's pray. Lord, we don't know what's happening with Rhonda, but she needs your help with something that she knows better about. Help her. Lord, in your mercy. And we all responded, hear our prayer. So what is truth? Pilate asked Jesus. If you didn't know the story, you would assume Jesus couldn't answer because the conversation ends with the sound of Jesus being beaten and whipped and nailed to a cross before taking his last breath and dying. Truth does not need to be defended. To be honest, it doesn't need to be explained either because truth is truth. I know our society doesn't like to think that way, but that doesn't change the truth as long as we're talking about God's truth. From everlasting to everlasting, thou art, art God, the psalmist said. So a long time ago, I had the opportunity to take a once-in-a-lifetime class. I was at the seminary, and Dr. Eugene Bunkowski taught the origin of language. Multiple doctorates, long-time missionary, language expert, biblical scholar, and to be honest, all-around great guy. In this class, he explained language. We broke words down to their kernels, which is their core. The best way I can explain this is to quote Shakespeare, who said, a rose by any other name would smell as sweet, which is to say a rose is a rose no matter what we call it because it's a rose. And there is the truth about truth. You can't change what is true about something. The truth will always be truth, no matter how uncomfortable that truth may be, or what other words we may try to call it by, or even if we try to pretend that it isn't true. George Orwell said, the further a society drifts from the truth, the more it will hate those who speak it. When you read the various editorials, which are 80% of the news today, and you hear the extreme ideas and all the values presented in them, the reason people can hold such things up as true and keep a straight face is because they no longer believe in absolute truth. Truth is whatever they believe it to be, regardless of any reality that might be before them. Their truth can also change from moment to moment. Mark Twain once said, if you tell the truth, you never have to remember anything. In other words, it's always the truth. 
People today don't understand that quote. There are some very inconvenient and uncomfortable truths in the Bible. Revelation 7 says that people of every tribe, nation, language, and people group are going to be in heaven. Hmm. John 14.6 says that it's only through Jesus that we can get there. Genesis 1 says that God created everything. Ephesians 2 says you're saved by grace, not anything you do. John 3.16 says God loves everyone, even that person that we don't want to forgive. The book of James says that we need to stop thinking God is going to do everything for us and start taking care of the world and our neighbor because that's kind of why God left us here. John 17.17, 17, Jesus turns to the Father and says, Thy word is truth. Jesus has been arrested, insulted, and beaten. He stands before Pontius Pilate who gets to decide what happens next. Pilate actually thinks that he's in charge. His wife tried to warn him, I had a dream about this guy. You don't want anything to do with him, but Pilate ignored her. Now he stands on the world stage next to Jesus, and all of history is watching. Their actions and their words are going to be talked about until the end of time. Pilate knows what Jesus has been accused of. He really doesn't need anything more. But a voice in the back of his head won't be quiet. And so he asked Jesus, so are you really a king? How should Jesus answer? I mean, what should he say? Nothing he says is going to change Pilate's mind. But what about the crowds gathered around that day and the people that are going to be reading the Gospels like us thousands of years later? That crowd heard that Jesus had healed the sick, walked on water, brought the dead back to life. It didn't make any difference. Crucify him, they demanded. <sighs> Why would Pilate accept who he really was? Jesus came into the world for this exact moment. He's not trying to escape. In fact, he can't escape without condemning all of us. He's embracing this moment so that we can be saved. He knew some would believe. He knew that others would not. Such knowledge didn't change his mission but it did weigh heavy on his heart. As Jesus lives out his passion, the holy moment reaching its crescendo, Pilate's question comes like a rude cell phone ring in the midst of worship, harsh and out of place. And just as it appears Jesus is ready to answer, Pilate walks away saying, I got to take this. Rhonda did what? She knows better than that. Today is the Sunday of the Fulfillment, Christ the King Sunday and all the other titles we talked about. The very title of this Sunday declares that Jesus is King. But like Pilate, we, we may want to ask, king of what? It's not recorded in John's gospel, but I'm pretty sure the moment Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, that Pilate took a deep breath and, and actually started to relax because the only thing that Pilate really cared about was Pilate. If Jesus' throne is in a different world, then Pilate's kingdom and who he is is safe for the moment. Pilate washes his hands of the whole mess, tells his soldiers to crucify Jesus, and then he runs off to have dinner with his wife and says, yeah, I know you told me not to have anything, but it's all going to turn out fine. Pastor G.K. Chesterton said, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and therefore not tried. Is anyone here a backseat driver or a very nervous passenger? Have you ever put your foot all the way through the floorboard trying to stop a car that you weren't driving? Long time ago, we took our DC intern on a mission trip up in Alaska. We had a five and a half hour flight from Fairbanks all the way out to Kivalina and Point Hope out on the Arctic coast. Um, our pilot, Dan, was letting me fly through some choppy weather so I could learn to handle, you know, turbulence. 
we were bouncing around pretty good when intern Kevin came up and he turned to Dan, our pilot, and said, you know, I'd feel a lot better if you were flying. So I said, your aircraft, Dan said, my aircraft, he took over. And uh, yeah, despite the fact that he had thousands and thousands of hours in the Navajo and Seneca and other planes, we were still bouncing around pretty good. After about 15 minutes of that, Kevin came up, put his face between the seats and said, is there anyone else that can fly this plane? Our pilot just smiled, turned the controls back over to me. Christ the King Sunday is the day we either accept Jesus is the King of Kings and let Him fly us through life's turbulence. And notice, we're not going to hit smooth air. It's going to be turbulent because that's this world. Or we wash our hands of Jesus. We go off to have dinner with our spouse and say, yeah, I know you warned me, but it's going to be just fine. You've seen the bumper sticker, God is my co-pilot. Well, that's completely backwards and upside down. God better be in the pilot seat. The only reason I was willing to fly through the turbulence was because I had a real pilot, someone with all that experience whose hands were just literally inches away from the yoke. And if things got squirrely, all I had to do was say, your aircraft, and it would be his aircraft, and we would be fine. See, I also understand what this day requires of us, why Chesterton said Christianity has been found difficult and therefore not tried. You see, if Jesus is king, he's not just king over a tiny little town in Iowa or, or even an entire nation. Jesus is king over everything. The universe, the world, our nation, our community, our church, and us. By the way, that means we're not king of anything. That's where the rub comes in. So Pontius Pilate doesn't know what it truly means to be king, let alone to be Christ the King. He crucifies Jesus, not because he believes he's guilty, but to preserve his own kingdom. To Pilate, truth is whatever he believes it to be. Now, it's easy to judge Pontius Pilate, but we have to ask if we're any better, because Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? And let's be honest, we've asked the same question of Jesus. We hope Jesus is going to cut us some slack. Like all those people in the Gospels, we ask Jesus, so exactly who is my neighbor? Do, do I really have to forgive, you know, my brother up to seven times. Oh, what do you mean, 70 times seven? You, know, you really want me to sell all my stuff and give the money to the poor? You really want me to love my enemy? You really want me to turn my cheek? You really want me to feed the poor and take care of the widows? See, we're sure we misunderstood him. Those can't be true. They would be very inconvenient, not to mention very uncomfortable for us to live out. Now, the question asked... There is a holy silence as Jesus stares deeply into our eyes. We can feel his love and his strength flowing out. And just as he takes that deep breath, and we know he's about to speak all the way into our heart, our cell phone goes off with an unholy ring, and we try to get it out of our pocket. and goes skittering across, across the floor, and we let loose a word that we normally don't say, especially in the presence of Jesus. And when we finally get a hold of it and we see who's calling, we hold up our fingers and say, i, I, I got to take this. Rhonda did what? She knows better than that. Maybe it's us that should know better. See, if anyone else had written the gospel story, that is where it would have ended. Jesus standing there with a very disappointed look on his face, his arms open but empty, and us walking off saying, what did Rhonda do? And that would be the end of the story, and God would say, yep, you had your chance, and you blew it. Fortunately, God wrote the gospel story. And so that's not where it ends. And that's not where it's finished. 
See, truth does not need to be defended. To, to be honest, it doesn't even need to be explained either, at least when it's God's truth. Now, truth is truth. I know society doesn't like to think that way, but that doesn't change the truth of God. It is very uncomfortable and inconvenient truth that according to Psalm 51 and Romans 3, we are all sinners. It's also very uncomfortable and inconvenient that according to Romans 6, because of our sin, we deserve to die, not just in this earth, but forever and ever. And don't forget Deuteronomy 6 that reminds us that there's only one God. By the way, it's not us. Matthew 5 says, be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Oh, and don't forget Matthew 18. Unless we become like little children in our hearts, we will never, ever enter the kingdom of heaven. There are so many things in the Bible that are uncomfortable. And Jesus being king over everything in our life doesn't make that any easier. We might ask the question, so what's truth? But if we're honest, we really don't want to hear the answer. We'd rather just go on believing whatever we think the truth is or whatever we need the truth to be so that we can preserve our own kingdom. Malachi 6 is a verse that you don't hear very often. But to be honest, perhaps we should have it made into a big banner and post it someplace where we can see it. Because you see in Malachi 6, God says, I, the Lord, do not change. And that is why you have not been destroyed. Did you hear that? I, the Lord, don't change. That's why you haven't been destroyed. See, usually we think because God doesn't change, we're in trouble. He's always angry with us because we can never fulfill and be what it is that, well, he wants us to be. It's also why we run around changing God's word to match our lifestyle, telling everybody, yeah, I know what you read in the Bible, but what God really meant, because I know that God wants me to be happy, and so this makes me happy, so that's why we've got to change things. Truth does not need to be defended. To be honest, it doesn't need to be explained either. God's word is truth. It is truth just because God said it. God doesn't mean it to be inconvenient or uncomfortable. He just means it to be the truth. And, and by the way, once we know the truth, it should actually make our life a lot easier because we know, well, we know exactly what is truth. The world doesn't like it when we speak God's word. We're not called to defend God's word. We are called to witness, witness to it and through it, through our life. As people see us, not as perfect people, but as forgiven people. And by the way, forgiven people means we are examples of God's grace. We live under both the law and the gospel. Recognizing our sin, confessing our sin, admitting that we are not what we should be, and then embracing God's holy and overwhelming grace. See, it's not just the law that doesn't change. God's love and grace don't change either. When St. John wrote in his letter, God is Love, he, he, was, he was breaking the word down to its very core, to, to its absolute essence. It, it's why when the crowd screamed, crucify him, and Pilate washed his hands, and the disciples ran away, or even when we answer our cell phone and go running out of uh, worship right before Holy Communion, muttering something about Rhonda knowing better, Jesus was still willing to be nailed to the cross, hang there for six hours breathing his last and dying. Jesus didn't give up on us, even when we had given up on him and we had given up on ourselves. You see, that's the only truth that really matters, that, that we have a God who loves us in spite of us. 
Three days after his death, Jesus rose again. He went and found his disciples, the same ones who had run away, cursed him, and pretended they didn't know him. And the first words out of his mouth, peace be to you. I want you to think about the first words out of our mouths when we run across someone who offended us, made us angry, or let us down. That We rarely walk up and say, peace be to you. A little while later, when Jesus and Peter were having a little quality one-on-one time, Peter wanted to know how Jesus could forgive him all that he had done. And Jesus' answer basically was, this is not just what I do. It is who I am. When Pilate asked what is truth, he was asking the wrong question. It's not the what that matters. It's the who. That's what changes everything for us. And that is why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes unto the Father except through me. That's not exclusionary so much as it is simply saying, if you want to go to heaven, you come with me. And by the way, if you don't love me, you probably don't want to be in heaven. See, he wasn't bragging. He was just letting us know the truth is found in a relationship with him. In him, we learn not only what God said, but why he said it. Because God is love. And that truly makes all the difference. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.